Hello, and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great. Episode 6. Alexander versus Darius. Last time, we looked at Alexander's campaign through Asia Minor, bringing him from Miletus to Tarsus, covering several omens, anecdotes, and the siege of Harlicarnassus. We also looked at the wider war, covering the campaign in the Greek islands. Finally, we looked at the situation in the Persian Empire, formally introducing the Persian King of Kings, Darius. Now, as Darius advances through his empire, we'll look at the first conflict between him and Alexander, which would take place at Isis. Now, we left Darius on the plains near Isis. This was a smart move for Darius. As we established last time round, his army was 100,000 strong. This was very large, and so he needed a large space to effectively deploy his army. As all you budding generals will know, the first rule of combat is that the location of battle is critical. You should always pick a battle site which exaggerates your own advantages, while exploiting the weaknesses of your opponent. This is, of course, why Darius left the plains and went into the mountains. Wait, what? Now, Darius was waiting in the plains, and a Macedonian deserter, who you'll remember from the last episode, Amintus, told Darius that Alexander would find Darius no matter where he was, so he should wait for Alexander. But it was around this time that Alexander fell sick in Tarsus. Arian is particularly critical over what happens next. Arian says that Darius heard what he wished to hear, and flattering courtiers, which, in Arian's own words, are, and always will be, the bane of kings, convinced Darius that Alexander was fearful of him, and that this was the reason Alexander wasn't coming to find Darius. This explanation ignores another key factor, though. You must bear in mind the time of year, November 333 BC. The European campaigning season is usually considered to be March through October. This is because unless the army is professional, you need to let the army return to the fields for the harvest. And no matter what, it's hard to march an army through snowdrifts. Much better to wait for the spring. The second rule of combat being that amateurs study tactics and professionals study logistics. Darius simply couldn't support his army over the winter, and so he needed to fight sooner rather than later. While Darius was leaving the plains, Alexander left Tarsus, going to find Darius. He received news that Ptolemy defeated Orontabates in battle. This implies that the area Orontobates controlled, which amounted to the citadel of Harlicarnassus, a nearby peninsula, and several islands, soon fell into Macedonian control, further weakening the position of Pharnabasis in his campaign in the Aegean. After a brief celebration, Alexander advanced. He knew Darius was close, and wanted to prevent him from reaching the coast fearing that Darius and Pharnabasis could link up, and Darius would use this to surround Alexander. This is why Alexander sent Parmenio to guard Isis, a town by the coast. 
Now, the battle takes place around the Gulf of Isectorandum, known in ancient times as the Gulf of Isis, which is the gulf in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean, where modern-day Turkey meets Syria. It will make things easier to understand if you understand the geography of the region. You can, of course, find maps at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com. Right. So, Alexander was rushing to the Gulf. He reached it before Darius, and decided to set a trap. Heading south through the Syrian gates, he realised that if Darius wanted to reach the coast, the quickest route would be for him to head this way, and Alexander could ambush him. If he headed to the coast through a more northern route, his army would become disjointed. It was a win-win situation for Alexander. Unless Darius went quite far to the north, around the hills, cutting off Alexander's supply line. But what are the odds he'll do that? Oh wait. He did. Heading through the Armanic gates, Darius took the town of Isis without being noticed by Alexander. He mutilated and killed every Macedonian he found who had been left there as unfit for service. How lovely. And then he advanced the next day to the river Pinarus. It was at this point that Alexander heard that Darius was in his rear. Not believing the rumour, as this would mean he would have made a huge oversight, he sent some of his companions in a galley north to see if the rumour was true. It was. Battle was imminent. Alexander immediately called his infantry and cavalry commanders for a pep talk. He basically exaggerated their advantages, such as the terrain, which was a narrow piece of land between the sea and the hills. Saying that the Macedonians were tougher than the Persians, he said that there would be great riches if they won. There was just one line in the speech I'll quote. And what finally, of the two men in supreme command? You have Alexander, they Darius. Alexander ordered his men to eat, and sent a reconnaissance party to scout the road. Marching once it had turned dark. Once he secured the northern end of the Syrian gates, he allowed his men to rest. He advanced north the next day, widening his front gradually until it covered the whole space between the sea and the hills. Infantry in the centre, heavy infantry towards the right, with some cavalry on the wings and at the back. The infantry on the left was under the command of Craterus, one of Alexander's very senior commanders, and the whole left wing was under the control of Parmenio. As the Macedonians advanced, the sea was on the Macedonian left, and the hills were on the Macedonian right. Parmenio had orders to make sure that no matter what, there should be no gap between the extreme left and the sea. If there was, then Darius could easily outflank the Macedonians, and they would be destroyed. The Persians being 100,000 strong, and the Macedonians only about 41,000 strong, including about 6,000 cavalry. Once Darius heard that Alexander was heading north, he sent a small force of light infantry and mounted troops across the river to screen his deployment. He placed his heavy cavalry on the Persian right, by the sea, 
and then he had the Persian infantry carry on from this point upstream into the foothills. Darius himself was in the centre with his strongest troops, the Greek mercenaries and the Persian royal guard. Several historians suspect that Darius was trying to recreate the Hellenic formation at the Battle of the River Granicus. As Alexander approached, Darius recalled the cavalry from across the river and placed it on his left, with the infantry on the far side placed in the foothills where they could outflank the Macedonian left. At this point, Alexander split his right wing into two forces, one to attack Darius and the main Persian force, and one to attack the smaller force which had crossed the river. Scared that the right was being stretched, he moved troops from the centre to the right. Those Persians on the Macedonian side of the river hadn't made any movement, so Alexander sent a raid against them, scaring the Persians. Only 300 mounted troops were needed to keep an eye on these. Alexander began the advance. Well, he did, with pauses. He marched slowly, and took plenty of breaks during the final advance, to give the impression that time was on his side, not the Persians. While Alexander advanced, the Persians remained stationary. This is because the Persians were in an easily defensible position. The riverbank was rough, it would be an uphill fight for the Macedonians. This kept the Persians in place, which was exactly what Alexander wanted. He would lead the attack from the Macedonian right, where the ground was better, and the Persian right would remain pinned, as they didn't want to cross the river. Once the Macedonian forces reached the river, Alexander went up and down the line, shouting encouragement. Alexander settled on the right, picking out the weak points of the Persians, then charged into the river with the companion cavalry, smashing into the Persian line. As soon as he hit, the Persian left disintegrated. The Macedonian centre, however, was not as successful as Alexander. Not only did they advance a lot slower than the Macedonian right, but some of them drifted off towards the right, creating gaps in the line. The rough ground on the Persian side of the river exaggerated the gaps in the line. As you'll remember from episode 1, a phalanx could not be outflanked or it would be destroyed. If a gap appears in the middle of a phalanx, I'm sure you'll be able to work out things will not end well. There was a fierce battle as Darius's Greek mercenaries tried forcing the Macedonians back into the river, and the Macedonians tried equalling the successes of Alexander on the Macedonian right. As now the Persian left was in shambles and had routed, Alexander turned left, swinging into the Persian centre, forcing the Persians back from the river as well as outflanking the Greek mercenaries. And, as I just mentioned, if a phalanx was outflanked, it would be destroyed. Thus was the fate of the Greek mercenaries. Now, to cover the action on the Macedonian left. Once the battle had started, the Persian cavalry couldn't stand being inactive, and charged across the river, attacking the Thessalian cavalry on the Macedonian left. There was a fierce battle, 
but the Persians broke. Once the news that the Persian left had been obliterated, the centre was being destroyed, and Darius was fleeing, arrived. As soon as the Persian left went to pieces, Darius incontinently fled. Using his chariots as long as there was smooth ground, eventually abandoning it due to obstructions, dropping his shield, mantle and bow, he leapt on a horse and rode for his life. Once victory was assured, Alexander followed him relentlessly, but gave up when there was not enough light. He did, however, take Darius's chariot, shield, mantle and bow. Modern estimates are that Alexander lost 7,000 troops, while the Persians lost 20,000. Plutarch gives a very hazy account of the battle, but he is very clear about its conclusion. The result of the battle was a brilliant victory for Alexander. Alexander captured 3,500 talents from the Persian headquarters. Alexander had previously still been struggling for funds, placing huge fines on towns he conquered, but this, and the money he received for raiding Darius's stronghold at Damascus, effectively secured him financially. Surrounded in luxury, Alexander remarked, So, this, it seems, is what it is to be a king. On the face of it, this shows admiration for Darius, but it is actually showing pity on him, for thinking that royalty only consisted of wealth and luxury. I'll just mention that this anecdote is recalled by Plutarch, who makes moralising points of dubious reliability. Once he returned from chasing Darius, and was celebrating in Darius's tent, he heard women wailing, and asked who they were. He was told they were Darius's mother, wife, who was also his sister, and children. They knew Alexander had Darius's bow, mantle, and shield, and presumed him dead. Alexander sent Leonathus, one of his companions, to tell them that Darius was alive, and Alexander wished them to keep their marks, ceremonies, and titles of royalty, as he didn't have any personal feud with Darius, was only making war for the sovereignty of Asia. Arian reports a story which takes place a few days afterwards, which isn't mentioned by his two authorities, Aristobulus and Ptolemy. It goes that Alexander and Hephaestion went to see Darius's mother, and Darius's mother, confused as to who was Alexander, prostrated herself in front of Hephaestion, as he was taller. Someone quickly pointed out to Darius's mother her mistake, and she withdrew in embarrassment. Alexander commented that her error was of no account, as Hephaestion too was an Alexander, a protector of men. This is of course countered by Plutarch, who quotes a letter from Alexander to Parmenio, which says that he never came into contact with any of the women in Darius's family highlighting Alexander's proudness in subduing his passions. Well, apart from Barsani, who was his mistress. Before we conclude, I would like to make one last point. 
The cover art of the podcast, which you may only be able to see on iTunes, is a mosaic of Alexander which was found in the House of the Fawn in Pompeii, and shows Alexander in a battle. Darius is in the mosaic too, fleeing, meaning that the battle is either Isis or Galgamela, but the majority think that it took place at Isis. Sorry for deviating, I just love trivia. This was a momentous victory for Alexander. The victory at the Granicus saw things turn in his favour, and this was seen again, but only on a larger scale, after the victory at Isis. Join us next time, when we look at the consequences of this victory, looking at Alexander's march through Phoenicia. Remember, you can find us online at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com you can find us on Facebook at the History of Podcast Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash the History of Pod. At the website, there is a link to the Amazon store. It won't cost you anything extra to buy through the link, but I'll get a small cut of it and I really appreciate it. This week, I'll recommend In the Footsteps of Alexander the Great, a BBC documentary starring Michael Wood which follows Alexander the Great's journey across Asia. It really gives you a feel for the areas I'm talking about, and the people and the climates, and the sections on Persia and India are very good. I will be making reference to this DVD in the future. Thank you to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the programme.